it's that. It's that catalyst for change. You need to be asking the question. You need just to just that kickstart, whether it be a drought, whether it be a flood, rains, or you know, or fires. It's hard to say fires. Like I didn't think I'd be. I'm a little bit. I'm still very fragile after that. That was Sarah Schmuder, and you're listening to the Regenerative Journey. G'day, I'm your host Charlie Arnott and in this podcast series I'll be uncovering the world of regenerative agriculture, its people, practices and principles and empowering you to apply their learnings and experience to your business and life. I'm an 8th generational Australian farmer who transitioned my family farm from industrial methods to holistic regenerative practices. Join me as I dive deep into the regenerative journeys of other farmers, chefs, health practitioners and anyone else who's up for a yarn and find out why and how they transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with Charlie Arnott. G'day, welcome to uh, another episode of The Regenerative Journey. This week, we'll be speaking with Sarah Schmuder. She's been uh, involved in the land care movement there in Armidale for a good 15 years. That's half the, half the time land care has been around. Um, we talk about her journey as a child, um, epiphanies she had along the way, uh, her time as a publican at Quilpie, of all places, and, and when she was in her early 20s. Um, we talk about Indigenous knowledge and storytelling, the role of community, the favourite books and mentors. She's the um, administrator, one of the administrators. She's actually the founder, I guess, of the wonderful Facebook page, Regenerative Agriculture Group. Um, so if you're not on that yet, dive in there and apply for membership, as it were. Uh, we talk about the importance of, uh, of nature and the connection to nature, um, utilising natural capital, bushfires, the experience, the very, well, life-changing, I think, uh, experience that she had with, with the bushfires uh, last year, end of 2019. And we talk about the definition of regenerative agriculture. It was a fascinating chat with Sarah in her own garden there in Armidale. And uh, I trust you enjoy as much as I did uh, our little chat with Sarah Schmuder. Sarah Schmood, how are you? Schmuder. This is Schmuder. <laughs> Why do I say Schmood? We'll start know, again. For two years. Around <laughs> no, Schmuder. You know, is it? I don't care. No, what is it? Schmuder. Schmuder. Why say Schmood? Why is I know, that? No, it's because Shmood. of Paul Schmuder. He wrecked it for everyone because he's got this Schmood does deals. At his ah, sports shop. that's what it was. And then everyone, everyone's Shmuda. just automatically calling his bloody schmood. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm in Shmuda. the mood for schmood. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should change it. You should change it. You should change it. <laughs> anyway, okay. Start from it. From it. No, won't stop joke. it. We'll Should do, we start with a joke? We'll do one joke. Yeah, the joke. What's the joke? Yeah, dad joke. Hey, stop it. Um, Sarah Schmuda, how are you? Welcome well, to the you. show. Well, Sorry. thank you, Charlie Arnott. It's a pleasure to be in my garden. It is. It is your garden. It's amazing. Can you tell us about oh. a couple of things um, while we're in your garden and hmm. how did you keep it alive in the drought? Because that that's a pretty good quick quick yarn there too. That you, yeah, you just, and it's a good guys, one. Yeah. Um, so we've been in drought in Armadale, well, in terms of water restrictions for about six months. And so that was a real challenge for a lot of people and particularly for us um, having a larger family, being five of us. And um, so watering, you know, water, all our shower water was captured, all our 
all our um all the you know all that gray water was captured and we put it onto our garden our garden which you can't really fathom um is about i'd say it's half an acre in town yeah and so being able to filter that water out into the garden to keep the the core plants alive was great so we did that over that period of time but dad my dad Mm. lovely dad he um had some foresight no 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 that's my father-in-law oh so my my dad warren grills warren and christine grills from east of gyra yeah um, had the foresight to do a bit of drought proofing. He did this in the 80s. He, he built some really deep watering holes and and that sustained them through um, a lot of dry times mm. and a lot of droughts, serious droughts. But uh, he would come in, he'd turn up here with 4,000 litres of water every two weeks. Really? And saved all these trees. So so he would come in here yeah. and he'd water them? Yeah, and we just that was in his, watered them That out. was in his DNA mm. to keep things mm. alive. Isn't it? Some beautiful, beautiful trees there. There's an ash, mm. desert ash there. That's a catalpa, Pepper. which is a catalpa. North American tree, which you don't see just, often. Just right here? No, the big one in the big corner. One. Oh. A peppercorn, which you don't get in this environment. So that no. just speaks of, um, you know, how we harbour this. We've got a little microclimate going on in our garden. You definitely do. Yeah. We lost a couple, but... It's, yeah. it's amazing. Deirdre, 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 that's it. That's deirdre. Deirdre. Yeah, they're a beautiful yeah. tree. Yeah. <clears throat> and that, stunning. I love this garden. It's my secret garden. It's a little sanctuary. Yes. So if I live in town, this is you've got a to nice have this. Yeah. Nice part of the world mm. here in Armadale. We um, now um, we met a couple of years ago in this part of the world, a little bit to the south in Tamworth, mm. um, and that was fantastic. And so um, thank you for agreeing to be on the show. That is, that's a, it's a pleasure, Charlie. <laughs> Please, I, was it only a year ago? No, it was, it was about, two years ago. It was about 18 months. Isn't it? Yeah. Oh, no, 18 months ago, I think, you came to our biodynamic, yep. introduction to biodynamics yep, course yep, at yep. Um, Tamworth. Yep. Um, that Jody put on there. Um, so, so biodynamics is an interesting thing just to touch on because my children go to Steiner School. Nice. So I've always had that biodynamic sort of, you know, intrigue. Mm. And... Um, and I thought your introductory course was just the perfect foundation for me to understand it and a lot, you know, a lot broader scope. Well, I know it could take, it'll take years for that sort of, those sort of learnings to unfold for me. But yeah, it, it resonated with me really strongly. So thank you. That's mm. a pleasure. Um, and Hamish. And Hamish, Hamish, absolutely. Hamish Mackay, who's the, actually, I'm in Armidale and he lives at Dorigo, not far away. Mm. And he um, is at Burua staying at our place making some preparations mm. as we speak so oh, right. um it would so have this been is a good time of year to make preparations it is absolutely yep <clears throat> we haven't so, got many cows to do that mm. um with so harvest the um the manures yeah. and then put them into the horns and yeah. then bury them yes for winter. actually the thing this year unfortunately though we we actually sold all our calves um before we got to the, the point of putting the manure in the horns at that time of the year we'd already sold our, our calves oh. mm. so we don't have lactating cow manure mm. but we've got cows mm. so we're making mm. cow manure concentrate mm. or he is as we speak actually mm. um he's a real trojan um sarah talking you just mentioned um uh about um uh, years and your, some years ago what your this this podcast is obviously called the regenerative journey it's about documenting and understanding and, and appreciating um, people's own journeys. And this is sort of a – yours is absolutely worth hearing, so I'm really pleased that you're um, you're with us today. Tell me, um, where did yours start? You can take us back as far as you want to go. 
Ooh, my earliest memory. Really? Yeah, cool. <laughs> no, no. Maybe it's even my first question. Nice. I think I've always been a questioning person. You know, I was extremely annoying to my parents as a, as a child. <laughs> always wondering about things and, and mischievous as well, but curious. And, um, and I think one of my first wonderings, my first questions would have been about nature. So I always felt that affinity growing up. And um, growing up on the land, so east of Gaira, uh, I'm a fourth generation agriculturalist, so, you know, a bit of farming, a bit of um, grazing, animal raising, uh, on a property called Trigare North, which is just um, in, an, in an area called Aberfallen. And it's, it's a beautiful part of the country, but it's been um, land managed for a number of generations in a, you know, in a, in a productive way, and, uh, and, it's, and it's been... It's been very fruitful for a lot of families there. So um, I grew up in a lovely environment. We did have our droughts and flooding rains and all those challenges, not bushfires. That's sort of a of late mm. issue. Um, so yeah, questioning. And, uh, and also I think this might resonate with a couple of people. Growing up on the land, being a girl in that, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s on the land, being a, a female, we just sort of not recognized as someone that would be a land manager you know that would you know there the successional planning would be a part of your career your pathway so i just took it for granted that that i wasn't going to be on the land and uh and then just continued to ask questions to continue to be intrigued about you know how things worked and you know very involved in in managing the livestock so mustering was my second name and I probably learned to ride a horse before I learned to walk and dad gave us all these sort of lessons about shutting gates so that sort of you know, leave things as you found them and that serves you well in life so totally. lots of those sort of lessons and questions and and then that took me down a path of getting out in the world and being intrigued about um, different cultures and and traveling so I did that for a time but then it wasn't until and I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I lived in Sydney for just a year, exactly a year, and I was 22 at the time. And it can be a really forming time, you know, before your brain's fully developed. So it's like, well, you know, what's the world got to offer? 22 is a really interesting time. And dad called me up and said, I bought a pub in outback Queensland and I need a manager. I'm like, yippee, I'm going to earn heaps of money and <laughs> go and live in, in, a pub. in a place I've never heard of, but I'll, I'll give it a go. You know, I'm, I'm the adventurous type. So I ended up in Quilpie for two years or 18 months Quilpie. on and off. I went for a ski trip to Austria in between, so that kept me going. <laughs> but, is that part of the deal? I'll go was, to Quilpie if you send yep, me to Austria. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so, That's um, a good deal. Yeah, there, was, there were some perks. But... Um, Again, um, it was just a time where you just, I just rose to certain challenges living there and it just gave me a lot more confidence to start forming my own, uh, my own, you know, my own ideas. I think I, I had a bit of a sense of entitlement up to that point and then living in a small community of 700 people and being the publican as well. So it was like the hub of life in, in town. I just, I just learned about community. And that was really a real, uh, you know, a point of 
of change for me, I reckon. And then I was like, okay, you know, what's my contribution here? You know? So I ended up back in Armadale at your alma mater, mm -hmm. University of New England, doing a natural resources degree because it was the hardest degree to do. Everyone's like, oh, don't do natural resources. I'm like, well, I'm going to do natural resources. Nat res. We Nat thought they were hippies. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, so I fitted right in. But we were pretty, we were pretty straight. <laughs> So that was you uh, rural science rural science yeah oh, we were gosh. yeah you could see you coming into a lecture <laughs> just all <laughs> hung over flies wearing your girlfriend's <laughs> wearing your girlfriend's jerseys and <laughs> confused <laughs> who are oh, you on. people i was so studious i came <laughs> in with a bag full of books and my glasses on and oh, we didn't have computers back then and your beard and my, <laughs> my beard that had been probably been drawn on with text of the night before at the yeah, club or something yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. i'm using an eyebrow <laughs> <laughs> we could go on. <laughs> we could. The local costume dress-up uh, shop, the drawing trade in you know in single uh, eyebrows. Uh, <laughs> people, people would put them on for a couple of months while everyone's grew, grew back. There's a business opportunity right there for anyone who's um, looking to start a business in Armadale costume costume. Yeah, shop. it's still it's still a strong industry. <laughs> it's <laughs> so weak at the moment. And coincidentally, uh, I'm going to be with 300 students this morning planting. Nice. Yeah. Fantastic. They're, um, so they're moving more towards the the land care ethos yeah. at uni. So that ca that came out of that NatRes degree. So while, during my tenure there, um, uh, there were a couple of hippies. <laughs> Bruce Taylor, I just want to give him a plug because he was one of them and it was very very uh, relentless type who who just wanted to do good for the planet and so i got on board with that so what was that bruce so that was bruce taylor was his name oh, nice. not bruce taylor from kentucky but another great stalwart of um oh, land care yes. but um no bruce taylor he was he was just doing a nat res degree just felt really passionate i think and he, he was such a different sort of person and and those people i really admired you know the ones that just Ah, oh, you know, I don't care what the Rob Stroppers think of me. <laughs> I'm just going to go out there and start my own tribe, and um, we and love, I admire that. Those and, yeah, mm. and he spoke of bush regeneration and you know riparian restoration. I'm like, I don't know about this stuff, so wow. that got me intrigued. And then, um, and then I just took I took the path of landcare. I did some work experience for them in 1998. I think here in Armadale. Here in Armadale, mm. and it was just—I was sold. It was community-based, grassroots, rural. So mm. it was that lovely dichotomy of urban and rural, and and um, just having a structure—you know, a lovely, a lovely structure, grassroots structure that was well supported at the time. Well, not necessarily in those late '90s, but um, by the time I got oh, early, yeah, late '90s. So by the time I got involved in a formal sense, left uni. Had babies, but mm. just got involved in um, in different projects, and then uh, where are we? Fifteen years later, 15 you know, years. I've been all this time with Landcare and really just passionate, and and I've loved working in in this network of people that are that are really close to the land and and close to working with nature. So that that resonated with me as well. Just jump in there, um, as you know, and as the listeners. If they don't know, they're going to find out. This this series of our podcast is um, supported by Landcare Australia. 
and through through the um, the Bob Hawke um, uh, Landcare Australia Award um, that I was very um, uh, uh, honoured and, and thankful to be the recipient of a couple of years ago. Um, and what's your what's your sort of uh, I guess what what makes Landcare unique from your point of view i mean you've been you were there for 15 years you were there for mm. half of the whole time like not just like a member of a land care group mm. which i'm not saying there's anything bad about that but you were mm. you were staff you were mm. you were part of the mm. machine that mm. was land care for half of its whole life a coordinator mm. what, what's what were the some of the unique things about it that that, that perhaps kept it kept it alive for so long mm. i think um I think because it just comes from a position of working with the land, just people just, they believe in it. They know, they understand it. They, they have a thirst for knowledge. They want to build that, but they also want to have social connections. They don't want to feel isolated in, in their pursuits. You know, on the land, there's been a various um, land, land, you know, land management methods that have worked in production and so, you know, you, well, there's many, but mm. and and varied around New England as well. So it's just a it's quite a diverse community. And the thing that um, I got most involved in was the educational side of it. So I started working with kids early on, and just because uh, that that was something that worked for me as a child. You know, I, I went to an environmental center, Thalgar Environmental Center, which is still going today. Here um, in Armidale. Yeah, and this is yeah. this was this was really key in my in my um, connection with the country is that just understanding it, asking those questions again and, and just having the right practitioners, the right mentors come in, you know, the students, the student is, is ready and the, the right practitioner comes in sort of thing. And Thalgara provided that for me. So I just wanted to use Landcare as a conduit to, to reach children. So I started up what's called Frog Dreaming. And um, just using the dreaming was a storytelling part, and I and that resonated with me. I I have um, some meaningful links in the indigenous community here in Armadale. Um, feel really strongly about it. Feel really strongly about that you know that spiritual connection with land and indigenous knowledge and and the people as well. You know they're just powerful people, the ones that that have become involved. Um, and for two days, it's only a two day program, but it. So we just go out into the bush with a hundred kids. We walk up Mount Cheval, they take their shoes off, they connect with the country through their feet and, and th we just invite them to open their senses. And, and it's a beautiful engagement between the kids as well. So they're all in that space and they're all just leaving their behaviors and their, you know, anything that, mm. that uh, they had, you know, I didn't have breakfast this morning. All those sort of complaints get left behind and they're up on top of a mountain, which is significant. You can see it from here. Yep. Just through those trees over there. There it is. Mount Juval. Um, it's actually called um, Chuanbandian yeah. in, in traditional Anuan language. Yes. I believe, you know, that, that is, that's, it's something that's still being um, questioned. Yeah. There's a black cockatoo. There's yeah, two. Yeah, heard them oh, before too. It's going to rain in two days for two days. <gasps> Is that right? Yeah, that's what I've been told. That's the thing. By the cockatoos. They, they just... Yeah, they just... That was a sign. Yeah, I don't know. It's been raining immensely here for the last five weeks. It's been amazing. And your garden just has just absolutely come alive, from what I understand. It looks... We're back it to is. that, but it's amazing. So we're hearing... And just while we're, while we're on that, um, we are opposite... Um, uh, 
public school. So if you hear buses and children um, uh, chattering away, then mm. that is why. Because we like to take our interviews out into the um, the environs of our interviewees. Yeah, there's, there's a, a there's best, a squeaky yeah, bus. Yeah. <clears throat> we'll better get onto that. Well, excited children, but um, just going on from frog dreaming, um, um, we so that that would happen every year. It's happened for twelve years, mm-hmm. and um, and so in that time, I've just I've developed other connections with land. So regenerative agriculture just came into focus through land care, um, talking to a number of farmers that that um, felt isolated in the pursuit. So it was it was a case of, well, you know, is this part of my journey? Do I start helping people feel connected? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm at the time, so this is about three years ago, I was a really avid Facebook user, mm. as were a lot of people. <laughs> It's it's quite a it's a vortex. It just you know just takes you in. Takes you in, yeah. And 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 then use if you if you can appreciate it's it's an amazing tool if you Absolutely. can use it yep. for for good. There's a lot of evil. I've got a, a nice little <laughs> a little um, analogy of that is uh, tell us is the chainsaw. You know you yeah. can use the chainsaw for 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 great things yeah. or you can use it for <clears throat> very evil things. And that's the same as as Facebook. Yeah. I find, you know, I've, I've got a lot of family that are adverse to Facebook and they just, don't you dare put anything about us on Facebook. So yep. Any of those sort of stuff. But anyway, I, sure. I thought that, look, let's just have a look at how it can connect people, how it can be a tool for, mm. for good. And so I started the Regenerative Agriculture Group and in the initial stages, there was only a Regenerative Agriculture um, group, it wasn't called a group, on Facebook at the time. And it was very well patronised. There were 25, 30,000 people on it, maybe more. I don't Where was that based? In the States? In, in, in the States. Yeah. And then I just started observing how's that tracking and, you know, how they sort of, how are conversations nurtured in that space? And it just, it actually was quite volatile at the time. And I thought, well, I want to start something that volatile is... Volatile as in yeah, were, uh, antagonistic yeah. or sort of, no, that's wrong, this is right. Yeah, that and moderated by a, a, a lot of people. So I, that was another thing that I noticed. And also it's public. Mm. So therefore, a lot of people have the opportunity to just view, you know, just just, yeah. just view and, and then just make rand coins so don't even have to be members of the group, I don't think. So you. I guess trolling in a way, yeah. potentially. Yeah. yeah, okay. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll make it a private group and, you know, in an environment where people feel safe to share their and, and to feel different and to, you know, just share their experiences no matter where they are at their journey, which is all very different for different people, different circumstances. So many variables in this space. In this region, actually, it's a bit of a thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Anyway, we started up the group. Um, came across Anne Coote, Anne Coote, Caroline, legend. yeah, mm. and Caroline Ditchfield. So oh, Anne Coote at Moray, Caroline Ditchfield in Inverell. Yeah. Um, in the early days, I just observed. I didn't know them. I just observed their beautiful, um, just this lovely way of of moderating conversations just you know the way they responded so i i just resonated with that and i said would you want to help me moderate this group because it has i think it has potential so we just started this little community mm. practice and we've invited on um adriana mcclenigan who's a local here in armadale and as a, a third moderator or fourth and we work beautifully as a a little team of of um 
you know, it's like it's we treat it like this is our living room. You know, be respectful. We've just yeah. got a, a couple of codes of conduct and. And it's just tracking beautifully. Some of the things that people say, the reasons they want to join, the you know, and it's coming from all over the world now. So we've got nine and a half thousand members. Stop it. And we've got it's fantastic. And like probably two hundred, two fifty um, posts a week it's from incredible. a whole range of yeah, a whole range of backgrounds. It is extraordinary and really meaningful engagement in some cases. So lots of practitioners out there. I can name um, Brian Wahlberg, um, Graham Hand. Um, uh, well, they're, they're just, they're two. I, I just have a little community of people mm. that I just tap into. So I know if anyone's asking a question, I can go, okay, well, what about Guy Webb? He would know all about fungi yep. and yep. and uh, endophytic mm -hmm. fungi and he can. Graham Rees, I know he jumps in. Graham Rees, yeah. Yeah, he's great. yeah, no, you would know several of them and yes. so there's just this community building going on and how affirming is that and and it's mm. the, the wonderful thing that i've found about this space is the is exactly that it's the it's the um the attitude and the respect and the the um the engagement people have it's it's such a breath of fresh air not to say that i spend a lot of time on facebook and other pages and it's it's all bad or you know um it's more that, you know, there's, it's such a, a font of information. The people are respectful, um, you know, in the, in the words of Tony Robbins, um, you know, don't use other people's experiences to, mm. to, to avoid making your own mistakes. Mm. And this is the, the page to do it. And, and even beyond the Facebook page in this, this world of regenerative farming and so on, um, the, I don't want to sound like I'm getting a bit high on the saddle here, but the... The, the 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 caliber of people who are in this space are exceptional you mm. know because they they've got i guess they've got to a point in their lives on their journey and they they want to change mm. and they want to change not just their practices but the way they think the way they behave the way they engage in community and their 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 um yeah their their approach is really refreshing and and that's not to say you know what they used to do i used to do in you know some conventional world of farming, um, for instance, was bad. It's just that it, there's a there's a there's a heightened sort of um, heightened level of awareness, I think, in people. Mm. You know, and you just look at the. I mean, I have to, you know, mm. plug it again. The, the uh, regenerative agriculture group page on Facebook. Get on there, um, and if you're lucky, Sarah will allow you in, um, or the other girls. Um, but yeah, if you've got questions, whack them in there because there's so many people who are just mm. so willing to help and the comments mm. just go bananas mm. in a good way. Mm. They're really, mm. res again, another, a really respectful and productive um, way. So, And again, it's all that, it's that questioning. And for me too, I'm learning so much and finding those resources, those golden resources that, that match, you know, that speak to you. Mm. It's like this Richard Perkins book. Um, I just received, you know, it just speaks to me. It's just everything. It's just so affirming that you know, the knowledge, the path you're on, it's just, it's being, um, it's being well resourced. Yeah, totally. And, uh, and it's a big term. Yeah. I want uh, that read uh, by tomorrow. Is that cool? It's like two oh inches thick. Oh my gosh. There's a word someone just put up on Facebook, a <laughs> word for all those people that collect books they never read. 
Oh, yeah. I could be one of them. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm, I'm, oh, I'm probably on the geez. cusp of that. What is it? Is there? What is, what's the word? Oh, I'm trying to think. It'll come to me by the end of this. Uh, how long is it? Two hours this interview? That's, that's a short <laughs> one. A short one's yeah, two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me about books. Um, what other books? Oh, we'll get my. back to your journey because that hasn't finished yet. Just while we're on books, any other books that um, re have resonated with you that, that are your go-to, your... your Oh. that you can suggest put you Look, on the spot my first my first one would have been i've got a couple of key people that give me books uh richard makem is one of them bert glover mm -hmm. uh bert's got an amazing library and he just keeps he's so generous he just keeps giving them out and he probably buys more of the same books and gives them out again thanks bert and um <laughs> richard, we'll get, richard we'll makem's the same richard makem he's just so generous he has a vast library and a vast knowledge and experience um and just one other person i want to mention about book lending is david marsh so he gave mm. me a very key book at a very key time in my in my questioning in my journey um called it was the um sand country almanac by Aldo Huxley. Aldo Leopold. Leopold, not Huxley. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that was, yeah. He's probably written a Zimmer one. Uh -huh. So, gem. yes, yeah, that was a gem. But the book that actually thought, gave, put me on the path of, oh my gosh, we can save the world, is, um, was a composting book by the Rodale Institute. Institute. Cool. Yes. And, why, um, why that? Why that? Composting well, such because, a humble little practice yeah, saving the world. How is that possible? I mean, just that we can make compost on scale um, with bit of waste products yeah. for crying out loud yeah. and apply them to the land and nurture the soil, the health, and it just you know feeds back into this you know healthy system that you're connected with. You know, you played a part in, and and then uh, and then I did your biodynamic workshop, and we did the. We made that. Um, no, we didn't make a compost. We made, did we? Uh, oh. I think we did make a compost heap. Well, it was the it was the manure cow manure concentrate pit yes. we made. Yeah. So I did that, yes. and then I thought, wow. You this got is onto that really time. quickly. I remember I did, you got yeah. straight onto it straight away. Very proud. Straight. I was you, ready. You were. Yeah. You went. You just I, shot to the top of yeah, our yeah. list of graduates. Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah, and then I made a compost which attributes yeah. to the boom in this garden is that I use that compost, that biodynamic compost I put all over this garden and, you know, you can see the benefits. It's extraordinary. Can I say, I have no doubt that because of your diligence and your studious nature and having made your own compost, that mm. this garden has the, re the recovery that mm. it's made mm. um, has, has a lot to do with, mm. with that and the love that you get from being in here. Yeah, that's exactly right. I feel connected with it. I love it. It feeds me every day, you know, nurtures my soul. That's important, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's, we've all, it's we've all, integral. We all need something something like that, whether it's a, a, a potted mm. herb or, mm. a, or a large garden. Another little thing to mention right there is um, the other thing that influenced me um, I didn't read about it. I was told about, I think it was Richard Makem who said it to me first um, about that RCS message of manage for what you want, yeah, not what you don't want. Good call. And oh my gosh, I look at this garden now, the amount of weeds in it, but I'm not looking at them. I'm looking at the vibrancy of everything that's living and connecting within the soil. So those weeds are now part of that system. So... And so then, and they're valuable yeah, and they're they nutritious. Are. As Christine Jones mentioned yesterday, she was in a garden 
I can't recall where where she was. Um, maybe it was here in Armidale. She was in a garden of a friend, and they were growing um, uh, vegetables. And they, she had marshmallow. This person, sorry, had marshmallow and it and, was and fat it was hen. a it was a refugee family That's that lives down the road from her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and they, mallow, uh, mallow, yeah, yeah. and um, and fat hen. Yeah. Um, and Christine was sort of just um, who who is who, if you ha- if you haven't heard of Christine Jones, Dr. Christine Jones, please Google her. She did an amazing, amazing speak. Uh, well, she's her her website's called amazingcarbon. Amazingcarbon.com.au. Yeah. So, um, and she did a great talk at the uh, Maya uh, grazing. Maya grazing yesterday. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's give let's give them a, a quick plug because they put on a, a wonderful day mm. yesterday mm. at Wilmont, just near Ebor, just just east of here, an hour east of here or so. And my grazing is a is a technology. It's a program that um, graziers and farmers can use to uh, basically monitor the, how much grass they have and how how quickly they're eating it. They can make grazing plans. They can use it to to record their but their budgeting of of grass and, and their assessments. So, big plug for them. But I mean, not be beyond them and that and that particular um, uh, game changing um, product. Is the fact they put on a day with Christine Jones and Jim Jim Gerrish from the states, David Marsh, um, and others that were Toby Grogan. Toby Grogan from yeah, Impact he was Ag. Talking about natural capital, monetizing yeah. natural capital. Oh, that's a whole other conversation. Mm, that is because that's part of your, another hour. Part, part of your journey, part of your story, and they put on a, a wonderful day, and it was it was um, attended by 300, 350 farmers. Mm, mm. Who, yeah, and the majority were farmers, which was really impressive. And a big, a big day. A big, a lot yeah. of people turned up yeah. there to listen to that. And yeah. what, did, I mean, what, what was your, um, what did that say to you? What was, mm. what were your impressions of the day? Mm. The the majority of people I spoke to um, had come to this day as well, questioning, you know, how do we manage out of this in all these extremes? The fight, the fires, the drought, the flooding rain. How do we manage, you know, a system in this, in this environment, you know, a grazing systems or whatever they come up? I think the majority of them are grazing. Um, mm. And that, that they were coming with a question. I think that that then just gave it that, that you know, boost. People were just bright. I can speak of two farmers in particular, or three farmers actually. So um, Normie, Mick and Rachel. <laughs> so these are my collaborators. So this is sort of the next phase in my journey was um, getting involved with these guys. They came to this day last year and were sort of a, they were sort of midway in, in exploring regenerative agriculture in a grazing system. And, um, and then they came again yesterday and they had just, it was so affirming for them. You know, they had, now they've, they've, they've started to empower themselves through different education. Um, one of them's done in, they're one of those KLR courses, another one's done um, holistic management and so they're just empowering themselves with that sort of information reading a lot asking questions coming to days like that they're they're on fire you know they're they're well on their journey and they are loving it I have not seen those two men in particular so happy and that's the that's the gratifying part of it all you know to be a part of a community of people that love what they do they feel connected with what they're doing. They have a vision for the future. And sure, you know, it's uncertain. But with sort, those sort of days, the sorts of tools that are available, I, I just think that you know, it's, it's a boom time for agriculture in this country. And those, those guys, were they farmers? Were they 
from a farming background? Was that was that their, their gig? Mm, yeah. So, well, those three that I mentioned, um, so Rachel's Rachel Ward. So it's Rachel and Brian Brown who are my neighbours at the coast. So how I came to be an, a landowner, so I did mention early on that I, I didn't think landowning would be a part of my path, but um, through great generosity of my family, they, they gave me this patch of land 100 acres down at the coast between Maxwell and Taylor's Arm. Beautiful, beautiful part of the world. And um, my neighbours are Brian Brown and Rachel Ward, which is wonderful. You know, lovely people I've, I've got to know over the last 20 odd years. And, uh, and Mick Green. So I'm between the Browns and the Greens and uh, the Schmooders. And um, so we've, we decided three odd years ago when Dad, Mum and Dad gave me the, the country, they said, um, you know, I felt like a steward more than anything. I didn't feel like I owned it. And I started talking this way with Mick and we just found that we we're really aligned in a lot of ways. He'd done a lot of reading around Joel with Joel Salatin. Um, just, and, and Mick has a community spirit. It's like, you know, Mick, he, I think he won an award a couple of years ago, one of those those Australia Day Awards for just being the best guy in the community. Just being good top bloke. Yeah, just being, yeah. The award just, It just can't do enough for people. It's just bloke. beautiful. And so I've got him as a neighbour. So we just started talking about, well, you know, if we want to achieve here, how about we make, we bring our herds together? Mm. So I had 50 head of cattle, he had 50, the Browns had 200. They had the, the majority of land, so they've got about 800 acres, we've got 100 each. And we've been mob grazing for the last two and a half years, using Maya grazing as a tool as well. So that was something that came out of Wilmot a year ago um, and really effective. But the last year we've been in drought. They call it a green drought down there. So you still green grass, but it's there's very poor nutrition and it's a cow-calf sort of operation. So it was a lot of unknown territory, but... I also wanted to give a little plug to to um, Lee Fieldhouse. He he helped me to appreciate the biology of the soil, the you know the activity and how you can stimulate that through biological um, biologicals. Mm -hmm. So uh, aligning with sort of the biodynamic side of things as well. I hadn't really appreciated the biodynamic the the application of that, but at that time, so um, I applied biocast, so a vermicast, so verma it's it's a worm. it's the worm castings yeah. that um it's a special concoction that Lee comes up with and he, he gives you this um this catalyst so you just add that and then you just spray it out on your farm and so we did that about 18 months ago and now so yesterday Mick told me my country is responding you know, amazingly and he's comparing it to the other paddocks we're using all the same system they've been they've been managed the same way mm. for decades mm. and uh and mine is responding and i i stopped using chemicals as well um three years ago i also integrated some multi-species so i did the whole 12 mick yeah, mick nice. was the one that came up with that so he did um three paddocks across the three properties and did this multi-species crop but mine is responding like out of sight mm. and and he said he puts it down to that biocast wonderful and so it takes it does it can take two years to respond and that's working with nature so 
So you start to find these rhythms, you know, the things start to, to function, you know, your mineral cycles and, and your water cycles. I mean, that's really important down there because water cycling, we've got really low nutrition in our pastures because we've got such high rainfall. Mm. So it's about understanding that and integrating different species into it so we can you know, further our, our, our herd and, and build, you know, its capacity, whether that's more numbers or whether that's just a, a different you know, different outcomes. We, we're, 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 it's a moving feast. There's no, you know, when we talk about adapting to our climate, you know, we've just got to adapt these systems. We've got to adapt our minds all the time. It's like you've said, and I love it, you know, change. It's the, is it the ruse the in the top? The, 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 the ruse in the top peak. Now, that's an expression like, I think they're, <laughs> no, that's that's right. You haven't got in too many rooms in the top eight. No, it's <laughs> change the yes, change the space between your ears. Yeah, so change the paddock that, between your ears first. That's your paddock between your ears. <laughs> Is there anything that you could suggest to people? I mean, on on that topic and, and the paddock between one's ears, um, that you know, uh, not mattering whether they've got country near you down on the coast or they're mm. at Armadale or they're at armatory or anywhere you know mm. what is anything that um you could suggest people could think about um that might help you know uh change not that we want people to just go and change the paddock between their ears for the hell of it i mean people get to a point how to how can you sort of encourage or suggest people get to a point or have the courage to do that is anything that that springs to mind or how did you oh really so i get a little bit of criticism actually a lot because people think that it's been easy for me to take this to go on this journey because it's not my primary income and you hear it a lot where they go oh you know you can go into regenerative because you're not dependent you know you're not thinking about the you know you need the production outcomes to be able to meet your debt needs or your you know your boarding school fees or whatever it is so i have in a sense had that luxury but um i think uh so maybe this is maybe this is where i talk to some farmers and i talk about monetizing natural capital mm. maybe this is where that plays in you know maybe it is it's just too hard for mainstream to transition and and it needs to have a dollar value because there is a public benefit attached to um building our natural capital you know regenerating our systems making all those things work and a dollar value you know in, in the form of an ACU, you know, we talk about carbon farming now. Carbon farming has been around for 15 years, you know, 20, 2006, I think it started, but there's been a lot of hurdles. And now I'm a part of a, an, a, a group, Impact Ag, who are looking at monetizing. So they're coming from a position of they, they're asset managers. So they, they already have a lot of um, uh, on-ground management happening and they're using regenerative agricultural principles and practices to do to achieve good outcomes great outcomes you know Wilmot's a great example of that um, and so it's a it's a matter of well okay this is these all these practices can be highly productive so let's try and get a greater community on board with this so we monetize natural capital whether it be biodiversity and or carbon i mean carbon's a good one because it's already getting established and it's got a marketplace you can you know you can trade your accus mm. so it's it's about say, getting what are we, what, what are we okay about? australian carbon credit unit so yeah. this is um the australian government through the um, emissions reduction fund making um making uh, carbon drawing down carbon out of our atmosphere so we can meet our 20 tar 2020 
2030 Paris Agreement of reducing our emissions by so much. So there's so many emissions we can reduce, but through agriculture, we can actually sequester carbon. So mm. we can actually reverse the effects that they're, they're, they're trying to target, you know, to draw down this carbon into the soil. So it's agriculture that can do that. And with regenerative practices, with carbon farming, you can achieve that. Um, and, and Impact Ag are about supporting communities, possibly the potential is that we aggregate um, projects. So your everyday farmers, like there's, there's, there's farming families out there that are struggling out of this drought and in some cases affected by fire and now flooding rain, so lost all, a lot of their natural capital. So it's about getting, asking the question first, you know, how do I get out of this? Getting educated, finding, you know, finding those resources, whether they be human resources or books or, you know, podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> podcasts. They're the best ones. I know. Far out. <laughs> Boom time podcasts. Um, and they really inform me too. Oh, we can't go down that path of podcasts. Well, we can. Oh, far out. I'm happy to plug other podcasts. Oh, Okay. All right, we'll go With write that, the, write oh, that oh, down. Oh, podcasts. Oh, podcasts oh, is an amazing resource. But it, it is about um, educating those farmers and then and then helping them to transition to more, building their natural capital, holding on to it, drawing down carbon into their soils, finding the potential to, to make that happen. And um, an impact ag is one of those ones that can aggregate the smaller farmers, so help them. Um, transition into more regenerative practices as well as support them in in going into a carbon farming initiative so so website for those guys how can how, 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 yeah. how people um so impact impact.com.au yeah nice impact and just before we, um, natural capital because it's a, it's a, it's it's not necessarily a new term but it's 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 being heard with more frequency mm. how, what what does it mean so farmers can actually go oh Ooh, well, I've got soil that. air water vegetation yeah. Yeah. biodiversity mm. biodiversity i mean we've been talking about biodiversity in lanka for generations no not that long i mean that's been going for 30 odd years but biodiversity a, a real key in your soils it's understanding your soils so understanding the the um you know making it effective, building its structure. So I saw yesterday, actually, for the first time I'd seen it, it's a pyramid of soil health. Did you see that one where it's had it's the chemical? Yeah, chemical at the top. So it was the reverse. Of, yeah. So it had the chemical component, the physical component, and then yeah. the biological component. Biological was massive. Yeah. And the biological component is really only starting to be understood, you know, that the value of that. Mm. So when we talk about natural capital, I think that that is central. You know, it's the bio, the, you, know, the, you know, the biological components of, of your vegetation, your soil, even your water. I mean, it all, it all is a site. It's all, a, a, you know, an integrative system. And understanding that, you know, and that's your natural capital. And if you can build that, if you can regenerate that and you can attach it to a, an ACU, mm. then you've got the potential to make money. So I can give you a little example, if you like, totally. of, of making money out of Exa this. So, example of why. Well, all right. So, so say, you're in, um, say you're in a grazing system and it's set stocking. So, well, you can still be rotational, but if you move into something that's more about um, – um, you know, migrational sort of patterns and, and using your livestock to regenerate your land. It's more about those restoration periods. So opposed to set stocking and rotational, you're looking at 
lengthy restoration periods. So giving your land a rest so it can regenerate. And there's lots of lessons out of that. You've got to understand, you know, what are the different species you're working with, your, your different forbs and your herbs and your grasses and your perennials and, you know, how does that system regenerate? So it's looking at that. Um, so if you invest in carbon farming, you're, you're going to start understanding how that how that you know that system works how it regenerates so you're going to be drawing down more carbon through photosynthesis into your soil so if you do this you have got the capacity to raise the percentage the carbon percentage in your soil so by you know by whatever percentages um so say your carbon levels are at around one you know coming out of drought that's that's mm. quite a a, a standard you know when i talk to people they look at their their soil tests many soil tests um, which are not completely accurate to say what the carbon level is in your soil. You need to consider bulk density and, um, and the carbon levels together, and that's not often in your, your run-of-the-mill um, soil sample, which I've just come to understand. Thank you, Maya Grazing. Um, from yesterday. Yes, from yesterday. Yeah, I didn't know no. about the, the bulk density measurement. Um, always learning. So... Um, so if you raise your soil carbon level by 1%, just 1%, now this is just figures that I've, I've come to um, understand, you are drawing down 122 tonne of CO2 into your soil. So that has the potential to generate 122 accus units. So strain carbon units. Is this so in, a, in a hectare? Per hectare. Per hectare. Per hectare. Good. And, and what, what are we what are we talking about in terms of um, the dollar value attached to that currently? Well, do we know? Can we do some yeah. numbers on that? Yeah. So there's there's different markets you can go in. You can go into the the Australian market. You can go into the government market through the ERF, um, or you can go into private markets, and they're international and they're very lucrative in Europe and the America at the moment because they're quite established and there's a a real <laughs> You know, there's a uh, an acknowledgement that this is important this is a, stuff. Yeah, really important yeah. for Grey Out Loud. <laughs> and Australia right. has got we've got great potential in yeah. this country to, to achieve this. So I think the government would be very wise to get as many uh, people on board, mm. you know, through education and through, you know, just empowering them to be able to to generate their natural capital by drawing down the, the carbon in the soil. So um, you can so in one hectare. So what's so the current market is fifteen dollars fifty, roughly for one acu. For one acu. Get out of here. Times so, one hundred and twenty-two. Yeah, that's number? a thousand and something. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a lot. Yeah. So and that's one percent. And if you think you've got a, you know five hundred hectares is a reasonable size yeah. to um, so in sort of average farm around here around the New England. There's bigger ones obviously out west and in Queensland and South Australia, wherever. But and and look, you'll generate carbon at a different rate. It depends on your management practice. And so I have heard people talk about or bandy around how they can raise their carbon three and four and five percent. So the potential there with a practice change is you can you can generate a lot of dollars. So roughly, I'm just using I'm just simplifying. So fifth, um, so it's a hundred dollars. Uh, so it's a hundred acus per hectare, one percent carbon increase yeah. in carbon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At fifteen dollars, well, yeah, it's fifteen hundred dollars yeah. a hectare. Yeah. That's that's actually being conserved because it's actually yeah, one hundred and twenty. Yeah. So it's more, more like seventeen. Well, per um, hectare. Mm. 
and that's not bad. And then yeah. times and that by a number of hectares in a yeah. street. You got a thousand acres. Yeah, or thousand hectares. Sorry, a thousand hectares. Struth. <laughs> yeah. So, and you were doing this That's for not just. I mean, this is this is securing your land. This is building resilience into your operations, yeah. and it's a long-term agreement that people have to make. So it is a commitment. Yeah. Government don't want everyone to turn around and go and plow up the country and release all the Get carbon the back money into and the then, atmosphere. Yeah, bolt. yeah. So it's it is a commitment, and and look. I don't know. I see great benefits, you know, all around. Certainly. Community, um, social, economic, environmental, like just ticks every single box. And along the way, you can love what you're doing. You know, you can really feel a part of, you know, something greater. Not just, uh, you know, it's about meeting those needs. It's about, you know, the greater good. And also family. I mean, it, it creates mm. resilience in um, in a business. The, you mm. know, the healthier the soil and the higher the organic matter and carbon levels in soil um, creates a more resilient business. Mm. And that's something that I think is pretty necessary for children to want to come home to, you know, if when they yeah, finish school and yeah. they, you mm. know, that, that, that actually want to be inheriting or being given mm. or buying or whatever, however it works, mm. a business that is, is, is set up uh, environmentally, ecologically, financially, culturally for the future. Mm. Mm. Not a bad gig. Little little um, Lordy, Lordy the Lord. He's only got another sixteen years, and he's there. <laughs> he is. I don't. I think it's only Imagine a couple of years away. He's already telling me what to do. Mm. Uh. I'd love that for my children too, though. I would love the yeah. opportunity for them to return to the land. Well, I have one in particular, my youngest, Monty. He's very keen on the land. So you know, this is this is a path I'd like to pursue as well. And I think it's important to um, you know, create, as we as we were saying before, you know, the luck. Well, let's you can even replace that luck with success. You know, you put a few words in there. Is the confluence of preparation and mm. opportunity. Mm. You know, in a way, in a sense, you're preparing him. Mm. You know, he yes, he obviously has some innate um, yearnings for the land and mm. nature and interest, but preparing him. Um, his mind, his body, his you know, his world for the opportunity that will present itself at some point mm. is really important. You know, whether it's the opportunity to buy a property or inherit a property or to, you know, mm. but um, I think that's um, there's something in that for mm. us. Mm. As I as I do say to, um, as I as I am, as I said before, you know, our job as parents is to prepare our children to leave us. And we want to, you know, we want to make sure. I think we, we, it's our responsibility to make sure that we give them the opportunity. We don't force them into things, and we don't push them onto things. And we have to be open-minded in our our approaches and what we expose our kids to. But I think, um, you know, it's, it, I don't think anyone could argue that that a child that is brought up in nature with a respect and and a an understanding of and a, and, a, and feeling they have a place or a part of nature is. I don't think that's that can't be can't be a bad thing you know whether it's going into a corporate job going to a farm mm. Mm. in hospo i don't know anything you know in the world of steiner we talk about um in that first year first seven years of a child's life they become um familiar with and comfortable with themselves and and and, and nature because they are part of nature you know as an individual functioning interdependently with um with nature you know and if they have that grounding that 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 um, foundation understanding it doesn't matter where they end up mm. 
they, I, I believe they have a better chance of ending up where they need to, mm. where they want to. Because we don't always work that out, do we, till we're, I don't know, standing pulling beers at the Coolby pub. That's right. Yes. And um, so just recently, I, I, I think I can use Rachel as an example. So Rachel Ward, who's um, in that transitional phase herself, I think she's a good example. You know, she she'd... So we've been, she's been farming the land for 30 years and, and not asking the question, just going, you know, we're just sort of taking for granted. We produce beautiful beef and in a beautiful part of the world and we've got Mick there to, to you know, guide us and, and use all the practices, all his knowledge. Um, but she just, she came, there was a catalyst for change. Um, and I think, well, from what I take from the conversations we've had is it was a fire. So the weekend before oh, yeah. her daughter's wedding, she was getting married in the garden down at the farm. And um, it's a place called Utungan, right? So this is the Pro- area we live name? in. Or the no, little, no, no, no. Little, little area little we live in. rural locality. Utungan, yeah, cool. meaning place of many frogs. So it's beautiful. Oh, wow. You know, you go down there, it's just a cacophony of noise from frogs. It's just beautiful. Well, the good news is the frogs are still there. They are. That's a traditional name. That's great. Um, And um, so her daughter, Matilda, was getting married and it was all, you know, beautifully planned and and Rachel had everything beautifully orchestrated. She had the community involved. She had people, 150 guests. They're all being billeted out to different people in the community because everyone loves Rachel down there. She's just got this great community spirit and, um, you know, very inclusive, lovely person. Um, so the f- she was using my house down at the farm and I was, I was really, you know, I was stoked. I was like, great, you know, you can use it. And So it's the week before the wedding the weekend before and the fire hit a place called Burupine and um, I'm not sure if it's a national park or a a nature reserve but it hit there and with winds and the conditions it was just ripe for Mm. a very ferocious fire it and we had so it it hit on one day so this is the 8th of November on a Thursday and uh, and it just took off and I got a phone call from Mick. I was in Armadale, I was part of a music festival and and heavily involved so I, I had full commitment here and um, and Dave was, my husband was busy as well and Mick called up and he goes, just prepare yourself for the worst. Oh. <laughs> and uh, so this, and that, you know, and that day I could just, I heard the fear in Mick's, mm. Mick's voice. Like he was just like shaking and he's one, he's part of the RFS. He said, we're a small team and there's a couple of 70 year olds. And I'm like, oh, heaven for heaven's sake. So they evacuated the whole valley and uh, it was 360 degree fire. Rachel and my farm and Mick's farm are right in the middle of it. And then uh, on the, on the, that night, so we call it our 9-11. I don't know if that's justified, but anyway, it was on the 9th of the 11th and it was in the middle of the night and um, the, and the wind direction, this firestorm came in and, and the wind changed direction and it just took my house. It just went to the ground in a very short space of time. Mick called me when it happened and he's filming it as well. Um. So it's like I'm seeing it burn down. And he was just, he was distraught and, and everyone was like, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, yeah, 
it's a devastating event and it affects everyone. You know, everyone is seeing the landscape scale of it. They're, they're, you know, there's the blame game happening. It's like, how could this occur? And, you know, is it is it our fault? Is it, you know, all these other reasons? So <clears throat> that was a big catalyst, I think, for Rachel to just open open up. Um, she just she just went, oh, this this got to be change in this country. So she started asking the question um, about regenerative agriculture. So we've been bandering this around, myself and Mick and Normie, for two years with Rachel and Brian, and they just hadn't come to ask the question yet. So Rachel asked the question, red call of the reed warbler, just mm. went, what? <laughs> Have I been living under a rock? Sorry, Rachel. <laughs> but... Um, but her mind's blown and now she's just on this new path. She was at Wilmot yesterday and she's just, it's, you know, it's electrifying her, her enthusiasm now. She's looking at making a film, a little doco, just interviewing various people on different parts of their journey, but also looking at the climate science behind it. She's looking at, you know, interviewing people like um, Alistair McLeod, who's a very successful um, businessman in this space, who's made big investments in um, regenerative agriculture. So, uh, you know, it's that. It's that catalyst for change. You need to be asking the question. You need just to, just that kickstart, whether it be a drought, whether it be a flood, rains or, you know, or fires. It's hard to say fires. Like, I didn't think I'd be. I'm a little bit. I'm still very fragile after that. I'm, Thank you for sharing three that. months yeah. and it was really meaningful to me too it was a good catalyst I, I didn't need the catalyst to change into my thinking of about re, around regenerative ag but it taught me about um being brave and courageous and getting the tools to do what i want to do and so carbon farming is going to be a big part of that too i think you know my being brave and making a change myself so did the fire mm. did, did the fire experience of that did that sort of sharpen your pencil to to head in a particular direction or just to yeah. you know, grab the tools yeah, no, and run did. and yeah oh, and really know, distilled did. and my husband you know we're like well mm. we're middle-aged <laughs> middle <laughs> and our children are you know they're growing to they're at a point they're independent so it's like well let's get back to us and where we want to go in life so and so, regenerative ag will play a very big part in that for me mm. um and my husband he's he's a progressive He's a community spirit man and mm. and he'll do, you know, he'll follow his path too. So it is, it's that catalyst. And again, asking questions. We're going to have to leave it there, um, Sarah. I think that's a, that is the, possibly the best way we could end is just to encourage people mm. to ask questions. And I, mm. you know, I've always said, ask yourself better questions because that's how I started. Part of the journey I went on was um, I was taught and I was, I was, was beaten into me really mm. not beaten into, I shouldn't say that but it was emphasized strongly um having done grazing for profit with with um rcs resource consulting service australia that that um you know we as farmers have to ask ourselves better questions about what we're doing who we are you know we are not what we do and i think farmers mm. often just get stuck in that i'm a farmer and i've got a farm and i'm gonna farm the way i have forever so um thank you sarah I'm going to start asking myself even better questions now on the back of that. And you've really inspired me to, um, well, ask better questions. And, and, and actually, you know, the consideration of the fire thing certainly um, has been on my mind. You know, can we, can we avoid, can, do, 
we have an opportunity, I believe, to avoid this happening in the future in some way. I don't have the answers, I don't have the timeframes, but I just know that what, what you're doing, what we're doing, what a lot of people are doing and their practices and philosophy um, can have a, have a role to play in avoiding such a catastrophe again. You know, large scale, small style, small yep. scale. Yep, I agree. And bring more people to the table. Totally. All the knowledge we can use, you know. Totally. It's all there. All inclusive. Mm. Sarah, thank you so much. Um, and thank you for sharing your wonderful garden because it's just, I love doing these things outside because it's just, it, it's, we're in nature. Nature is inspiring us. Mm. We're channeling it. Well Thanks, done. Charlie. Thanks. And you said you couldn't talk for. No, no, this you've long. gone over time. <laughs> no, this is great. We could keep talking. We'll do it. We'll do a part the podcast. two. We've got to do the podcast one. Oh yeah, my favorite podcast. Yeah, do it. Oh no, well I've got all right. Well, oh, we'll regen. Do it. No, okay, do it. one regen ag one yeah, and yeah. one. So my regen ag one would be with John Kempf from the states. Do you know him? Yes. Not well. I don't know of him. Yes. Absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. So he has a podcast. You yeah. know, eco agriculture podcast i think it's called mm. anyway just google john kemp podcast mm. he is just he's been doing this for ages mm. you know might be 15 years he's been talking yeah you know banding this around but very articulate very well researched and uh yeah I've, i identify with him but and my other one is 99 percent invisible which you haven't listened to. No, no, I'm no, going no. Now, it's American, and it's um, 99% invisible. Is about all those, all those things that we never, we just take for granted. Just you know, to do with design and technology and whatever, all those things that govern how we mm. exist in the world. Um, and it, yeah, it's just a really good storytelling piece. Roman Mars. He, he, he does it, does he? Roman Mars, he's got the voice. Yeah. And you've got the voice, I think. I don't know yeah. if I have. I'm a bit croaky this morning, not because I was on the grog or anything. I mean, off the grog. Um, but because it's the morning. <laughs> My vocal cords are <laughs> And we haven't had breakfast up. yet. No, we haven't, but we've had such Still a lovely morning. Still in my slippers. You are too. Great. I'm not. I'm in my blunnies. Um, Sarah, thank you. We better wrap it up then. Yeah, all right. And. <laughs> Check ends. Yeah, no, let's do that. Woo -hoo. Woo -hoo. Cheers. Woo -hoo. That was so fun. <laughs> See you all in all right. part B, part two. All right. Yeah. See you. Well, what a wonderful conversation I was able to have there with Sarah in her garden at Armadale. Beautiful spot to be having a chat with her. A real inspiration to many uh, regenerative farmers and, and people thinking, to, you know, thinking about coming into the industry and just stepping their way softly into there. Um, with her um, Facebook page, the Regenerative Agriculture Group page of fantastic uh, font of information. Talking about fonts of information, our next uh, next interview is with Corey Hancock. You might know him better as the Environmental Cowboy. We really um, dug deep on you know how he sort of came up with or created his uh, the persona of the Environmental Cowboy, um, and and more importantly, really why. Um, we look at all sorts of issues or matters, I should say, uh, environmental matters, and um, he's doing a fantastic job of, of advocating for uh, real conscientiousness about our environment, where we're headed, um, what, we're, what we're really uh, um, creating for our, uh, our children to inherit. So we have, an, we have some choices to make uh, about how we do that, and Corey's doing a fantastic job of giving us some options. Uh, now, don't forget to subscribe, comment, um, share, 
and generally get involved with the Regenerative Journey podcast. Um, really excited to be sharing our next interview with, uh, which is Corey Hancock. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au. This podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. And as the recipient of the Bob Hawke Landcare Award, Charlie would like to thank Landcare Australia for their support in the creation of this first series of The Regenerative Journey.